to Straight Talk with Kathy, your go-to source for health and wellness discussions from one of our country's leading motivational speakers, Kathy Robinson Pickett. And now, without further delay, here's Straight Talk with Kathy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's Straight Talk with Kathy. I'm your host, Kathy Robinson Pickett, and I'm a woman with something to say. And today I have with me again my good friend, Sheila Hollowell. And Sheila's here today. She has got tons of credentials behind her name. Um, she's done tons of work in suicide prevention. She helped with the whole Columbine incident and has done so much therapy work and counseling work for folks um, in crisis. And I think we have a lot of folks in crisis in our country today. And sometimes when people hit a, a major crisis in their life, they think it's just the end. It's over. Everything's done. And at least in my case, my crisis was just my beginning. It was what set me on my path and set me into my future. And I think um, Sheila has much a similar kind of story to that. And so I invited her here today to share that story. And, and let's get real. Let's talk about how we catapult ourselves from a bad space into a great space. And so, welcome, Sheila. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to see you. I know this isn't something you talk about a lot, even though it's what has molded you and shaped you. And so I'm really honored that you will share your story with us today. So I'm just going to hand it over to you and let you start, and then I'll interrupt as we go. <laughs> Please do, because I'm not sure where I'm going with this. But um, working in crisis intervention as a career one question I'm often asked is how did you get into this and I think the reason that I got into it as many people is because I had a life with different crises in it when you're the victim of something when you've had bad things happen to you often you feel like a throwaway person you feel like someone who's broken that can't be fixed you feel like you're not as good as the other people that you see in life who have had an easier time. But the truth is that in every crisis and emergency, there's a piece of transformation at the end of it that brings you peace and makes you a new person. And I've worked a lot of tragedies. Uh, as you know, I worked the Columbine High School massacre where the 55 children were shot, and several of them, of course, um, did not survive Columbine. That was one of the toughest odysseys I've ever seen. But again, at the end of this very, very long, horrible ordeal that suddenly ruins our life is a new life with new information, and there is a piece of transformation. So basically what I can tell you is I've always felt very privileged to work in crisis intervention because it is one of the most intimate experiences you'll ever see. When you go to um, Starbucks or you go to a restaurant and eat, you don't share anything with people during the course of your average day that's important. You share the shallow stuff. How you doing? Is that a new car? Like your hair? But the things that really drive us stay deep inside um, and wake us up in the middle of the night. Um, 
And the, the important thing about crisis in so many cases is the way I learned to look at it when it happened to me, and I had to look at it, was if you don't listen to the tap on the shoulder, sometimes you get the Mack truck. In my case, I got the Mack truck. Um, I started out with everything in life that looked good on the surface with a happy home, uh, professional parents, good income, uh, urban schools, cheerleader, all that kind of stuff. I was a musician, did a lot of classical music and concert piano and married the um, person of my dreams. And the person of my dreams had some problems and pretty soon I realized I had some problems too. In my home, my parents, um, my father was mentally ill. He was a survivor of Pearl Harbor and had a lot of problems as a lot of veterans do from the war. And my mother was an incest victim of her grandfather who was completely untreated. So between the two of them, I spent a lot of my childhood trying to make them better and becoming their confidant and kind of grew up to be the kind of person that you came to with your problems. Like so many young women, I think as my marriage went on and as I had children, I kind of gave up the person that I could have been and became the person they needed me to be, always putting out fires, always doing what was needed. And it was like, you can go to the ball yourself, Cinderella, when everything else is done, only everything else is never done. You have to learn to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Um, the marriage got worse. We got counseling. The kids got worse. The family fell apart. But what really was the transformation for me is one night in the middle of the night when my husband was out working, um, we had a home invasion of someone that broke into the house in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., and this was in Alaska in the summer, and um, I was raped. This person was in the house like 45 minutes before he woke me up, and when he woke me up, he had a Bowie knife under my throat, and he said, I've been in your home about an hour. I know where everything is, and I know that you have two children in separate rooms. If you get away from me, you can't get to both of them. Whichever child you run to, I'll kill the other one before you can get there. Now, you either let me do what I want or one of your kids is dead. And there really wasn't too much choice with that. I thought I could get over this fairly quickly because I had a counseling background and a lot of support, and I found I couldn't. Um, like everyone else that goes through a crisis, my whole life changed. Um, I gave up the home, the house, the place I was living. I moved to a different state. A lot of that is kind of a quest to achieve personal safety again that you go through. In my case, this all happened in the middle of the night. The first thing I did during the assault was turn my head and look at the alarm clock, which said 3.12 a.m. For 12 years, I woke up every single night at 3.12 in the morning, even when I lived somewhere else. It was like a glitch on the hard drive, and it took me forever to get past it. I got a divorce. I moved away, um, and I tried to go on. It takes a very long time to get over it. Um, but like you said, it 
you do what you do and part of that is to reach out and help other people and understand that it's kind of a trial by fire. It's really not the end. It's really the beginning because now all bets are off and you're no longer interested in whether your purse matches your shoes. You have a deeper appreciation for the suffering of humanity, for the pain that people are feeling, and for what's important in your life and the people that you value. And it takes you down a different road. And for life just in general. For life in general, We're, it's fleeting. We don't take, either one of us don't take any day for granted, I don't think. No, we don't. <laughs> and, you know, that's a lesson that you would hope that folks could learn without tragedy, but oftentimes it's not until crisis happens that folks learn to appreciate the sunrise and the sunset. It's true. You know, when, when I was working Columbine, one of the things I remember, part of my job was, was to work with the parents of the murdered children. And it's hard enough to work with mom and dad who have had a child murdered, but to work with 11 of them all together in one group, it's very difficult. But I remember looking around the room and thinking, every one of you will take a different path. One of them started a church. One of them adopted children. Uh, one of them passed legislation. Um, everyone took a different path of what they had to do. One of them went out and did speaking engagements. Uh, one of them started a children's foundation. There are different ways to work your way back to sanity, and the one that's for you will make itself known eventually. And what was that for you? For me, um, I think it's always been to work in suicide intervention because it's like, when you've been to the edge and you've looked into the abyss, you recognize that when you see it in someone else. And when I was the head of crisis services in Hawaii, what the Hawaiians used to say all the time was, she can smell a suicide when it's going to happen. Of the years that I worked on the island, the suicide rate went from one of the higher in the nations, far, far above average, to zero. I had two years in which we never lost a single person. And it truly was because I was almost psychic about knowing when something that was going to happen because when you've been through a tragedy, you have a traumatic bonding and you know the situation when you're looking at it. Um, and it's true also, strangely enough, I know that sounds kind of far out, but it's, it's true also of going through the rape experience. I can absolutely pass someone on the street and know if they're a perpetrator. It's almost like a vibration the that comes up. The hair stands up on the back of your does. neck, doesn't it? You can look at you somebody know, across the room and you know. You know when you're in danger and you know what's going on there. And, and I do think it's traumatic bonding. Traumatic bonding is that thing that makes um, GIs in the same unit stay in touch all their life. They've been through a war together. They've been through something in particular together uh, that they have bonded over a, a certain experience that they've shared. Um, and that's kind of what it's like to work in intervention. I, I still agree with that. You know, I think um, because we both have very, you know, obviously similar stories and we've known each other for a long time. But I know when I um, was in the store, much the same thing. I saw the clock when the men jumped the counter and the clock was 2.20. And I still wake up at 2.20. It's it's 27 years later, and three times a week, I'll still wake up at 2.20. Now, I call it my, you know, bathroom break, but it's, it's in 
our genes when something happens. But I call it my Facebook break. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's that too, but you, you get know. on Facebook and you it's go, like, "Oh, look who oh, else is up at two twenty exactly. in the morning." <laughs> but I think that bonding is also what allows us to to seek help and heal. I I I know you and uh, myself. We hear stories every day of people that have tragedy in their life of whatever it is, and their life just stops at that moment, and they never really live another day. And their life as they knew it stops. Right. It's over. Right. But now they, something they, else is going to happen. Yeah, but they stay stuck in the pain, so many people. And at least for me, coming out of that pain was finding something good to do. And, and what I found was I found a support group, and that was good for a little bit. But I didn't need to stay stuck, and a lot of those people were stuck. So I needed to take action. And much like you with the suicide, I started doing rape crisis stuff on, on the phone lines and, you know, that kind of stuff. So they hear it from me. My listeners hear it from me all the time. But what is your advice for someone not how not to stay stuck? Well, you can't do what you've always done and not be what you've always been. So if you want to have something come out differently, you have to do something differently. We all see those stuck people every day. We see right now a lost generation of men walking around that were in Vietnam, and they still have ponytails and beards and look like they did in the 60s and have the same ideas and the same politics and the same clothes and the same views, and they live in basement apartments below ground because they're afraid of the world and they live off the grid and they won't pay their taxes because they're afraid and disillusioned and hurt from what they've been through. Those are the people that did not get counseling. There's no substitute for counseling, for someone that will bring you out of it. Think of a movie like Goodwill Hunting. It takes a good counselor to bring you on home. Um, I met one of the best counselors in the world, um, and many years later, after I was finished with my counseling, I married him. <laughs> and he really helped me to see the bigger picture, not just about life, but about the universe and how it works and the purposefulness of incarnation and why we're here and why we're people and all those big questions about the real meaning of life, which comes up. Also, I think working your way back, school. School is the salvation. I'm a sociologist. Once I learned how it works, it was a lot different than thinking that I was a victim of any of this. I lived in domestic violence not because there was anything wrong with me, but because I didn't understand how domestic violence works and how a couple gets out of balance. Education is the light at the end of the tunnel, whether you get it from a women's center or you get it from a master's degree. But if you want to be the person that you could be, school really to me is the way to do it. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. You know, And the the deal is that I really believe everybody's going to face some pivotal moment in their life that's a crisis moment. And when that crisis happens, in our case, the rapes, the picture gets so much bigger because just like you just said, you um, start questioning everything. Mm -hmm. You don't just question what happened, what made it be me, 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 me with the attack, but everything you know becomes 
something you start questioning. Yeah. And to find those answers, your answers, because everyone's answers are different, mm -hmm. it takes reading and knowledge and talking and meeting people. And you don't have to have money to do that. There are tons of free support groups um, on all kinds of subjects. They're online now, too. Mm -hmm. You know, you can find women's centers online, weight recovery centers online, suicide centers online. There's tons of hotline numbers. Your local library is full of information. So even if you're saying you're listening to this and you say, I don't have the money to go back to college or I don't have that ability, there's tons of ways to get educated without having initials behind your name. There is. And if you wait until you have the money, you're never going to do it. I didn't go back to college because I had the money. I went back to college not having enough to pay for one class and going, I'm 40 years old, I'm divorced, I have four children, and I'm beat all the heck. Where do I start? Right. And they will get you through there. They will get you through there. It will happen. Sounds really trite. It's like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> But, but it's true. When you know what you want, you'll find ways to make it happen. The real trick here is first you've got to decide what you want and get a focus on where you're going. Then the rest of it will fall into place. And that's, that's with any <clears throat> crisis. It's not just sexual assault. It's no. any crisis. It's death. Um, it's, you know, when Steve died, it was just as much a crisis as when the rape had occurred for me. You know, we all hit crisis points in our lives. And for a lot of us, it's just the upbringing that we were in. If you were raised in a family of alcoholism or drug addiction, you're going to have to overcome your own upbringing and regrow yourself all over again. I think one of the hardest things for any of us to do is to get out of the tradition that we were raised in. Um, it's, it's a Absolute, tough thing to do. Absolutely. You know, I, I used to think my life was normal. And because I truly come from a leave it to beaver family. My mom and dad are more in love today than the day they got married. Next week is their 48th anniversary. Um, you know, I, I really did have the white picket fence and the brother and the dog. And my dad was a minister and a, a professor and, and my mom a teacher. And um, I used to think everybody's life was, was like that. That's the way it is. And what I realize now is I'm the person... Out of all my friends, I'm the only person that had that life, mm -hmm. you know. That's not the norm. So if you're listening to this saying, but I don't have a normal family, nobody has a normal family and anymore. And it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> really matter. It's not where you start. It's where, it's where you, you finish. finish. Absolutely. And we are out of time again. And I'm so grateful for Sheila coming in and sharing her story with you. And to just let you know that we all face crisis and it's what you do after the crisis that allows you to become who you become. And um, if you are looking to talk to us, have questions for Sheila, have questions for myself, you can reach us at straighttalkwithkathy at gmail.com, on Twitter at straighttalkpod, and on Facebook um, fan page Straight Talk with Kathy. And until next week, be the boss of your brain.